Open your Bibles to Proverbs 31. The choir is going to come down to join you as we find that. So get Proverbs chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Not Proverbs 1, Proverbs 31. Let's look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he have no need of spoil. She will do him good all uh, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to study your word. Lord, help us now as we compare Scripture with Scripture to have a good understanding of who the virtuous woman is and how that affects us today. Lord, we pray that you're glorified by everything that's done here in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have been looking at, we started on Mother's Day, we looked at the virtuous woman, and we took the text in its historical context, and we learned what a virtuous woman is and the biblical description of a virtuous woman. We discerned that on Mother's Day. Last Sunday, we saw that... Solomon asked this question, who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? Why did he say that? Because he had a thousand women. 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he said, not in one of them, not one of them, not one of them was good. How about that? And we also learned that he must have had an amazing makeup budget for that many women. And so it's interesting that God chose Solomon to ask that question, who can find a virtuous woman? And we looked through the scriptures to find, does the Bible tell us her identity, who the virtuous woman is? And we learned from the book of Ruth that there's of all the godly women that are identified in scripture, only Ruth is called the virtuous woman. And we learned some things about Ruth. First of all, she's from a cursed race. She's a Moabite. She's separated from God and His promises. She's living in a time of great famine. One day she hears good news from a far land that God has visited His people in Bethlehem and has given them bread. Upon hearing that good news, she leaves her family. She leaves her land. She leaves everything she holds dear and makes a beeline for Bethlehem where she partakes of that bread. She goes to work in the harvest field and when she, when she gets there, and without her realizing it, her Jewish kinsman redeemer sees her in that field and falls head over heels in love with her. He takes her out of the field and makes her his bride, and they live happily ever after. Isn't that a great story? It's one of the earliest love stories that we have record of. But the reason that that story is beautiful is not simply because of its literature, but because it's our story. That story is our story. We were born into a cursed race, the human race. We were separated from God and His promises. It's left our souls famished. Yet one day someone gave us good news that the Lord had visited His people in Bethlehem. The bread of life was born there. When we heard this, we left everything that we held dear and that we were trusting in, and we made a beeline to Jesus Christ and partook of that bread. Now He has us in His harvest field, and we are awaiting the marriage when He'll take us out of the harvest field to the marriage supper. Remember in the parable of the sower, Jesus said the field is the world, and one day He's going to take us out of this world, and we're going to be gathered together for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why the book of Ruth is in the Bible, and it's a picture. This virtuous woman is a picture of the bride of Christ the church. The Bible in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes that he wants to present that church as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. As what? A virtuous woman. 
And so what we find in Proverbs chapter 31 is a very clear description of what the church is to be. And last week we looked at that. We looked at her identity. One of the things that was interesting about it, if you look at verse 10 again, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Why rubies? They're rare. It's a precious jewel. They're costly because of their rarity. And they're red. Why? Because the price that would be paid for us, for the church, would be a price that's far above rubies, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I was just Googling this morning, and if it's in, if it's in Wikipedia, it has to be true, right? And it was fun. I, I just I Googled rubies this morning. Not ruby, don't take your love to town. It's something different than that. I, I, I Googled rubies, and how many of you don't have any idea? Kids, you don't know what I'm talking about there. Right. Anyway, she painted up her lips and whatever. All right, so I looked up rubies, and it said, back to our regularly scheduled programming now. And what was interesting was the most valuable ruby, ruby is called the sunrise ruby. Isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ is the sun that's going to rise, according to Malachi, with healing in his wings. It's, it's just interesting. And what's even more interesting is that ruby is named after a poet written by a Muslim. So it's nothing that was planned to point to our Lord Jesus Christ. It, just the Bible, the way that it just weaves these truths together, it's amazing. If you're a teenager, it's amazing. But the rest of us will say it's amazing how God weaves those things together for us. And so they're precious. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, it says, for as much as you know, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's far more precious than rubies, the blood of Jesus Christ. So we looked at her identity. The identity of the virtuous woman is clearly identified as Ruth, and Ruth is very much a picture of the New Testament church. Now, how did we get there? Remember, last week we said that the Bible, every passage has to be interpreted historically. What did it mean to the people who were hearing it and receiving it? That's, you have to start there. But then it must also be interpreted doctrinally, and doctrinally sometimes that's prophetically, this passage, Proverbs 31, historically, it's describing the characteristics of a virtuous woman, clearly. But it also points to, prophetically, the church, the bride of Christ. And we're going to learn some more things about the bride of Christ today. So look with me, Proverbs 31. Let's dive in today. Today, we're going to look at her beautiful character, her beautiful character. Verse 10 again, "...who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies." The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Do you see that? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. So what is a characteristic? Her beautiful character. The first thing is she can be trusted. And here's how many of you are excited about this? I only have two points today. But there's a lot of sub points, so don't get excited. Two points. The first one is she can be trusted. She can be trusted. So it is a wonderful thing in a marriage relationship when you can trust each other. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you trust Jesus Christ? Is He faithful? Of course He is. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. My hope, my hope is built in the 
fact that I can trust that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and will do what He promised to do. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in, that's Jesus, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. He can be trusted. Church, here's the question to you. Can you be trusted? Can your Savior, who is your husband, we're the bride of Christ, can He trust you? And the interesting thing about the church is the church is an organization. The local New Testament church, it is an organization. We have structure. We have a pastor. We have deacons. We, we, we come together at a certain time. We are certainly an organization. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I would that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says? So we are to act as a unit. We are to be one. Remember what Jesus Christ prayed in John 17. He said, I, I pray that they would be one as I and my Father are one. Now, that's serious oneness, isn't it? That's what our church is supposed to be. So we are one, and yet we're made up of individual members. One body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, but members in particular, the Bible says. So we're one body, and we're not all the eye, we're not all the nose, we're not all the foot. Can you imagine seeing someone that was just one big nose? Pastor Nathan, where are you? No, just kidding. Can you? <laughs> he was doing the backstroke. People started yelling shark. It was unbelievable. But it's really interesting. We're not all supposed to be the same function, but we're all part of one body. Amen? We're all part of one body, and yet we're members in particular. And so I hope that Christ can trust Grace Baptist Church. And we do work hard to be true to the Word of God, to be doctrinally pure. Amen? We want to be sure that we are correct doctrinally. That's the church. But what about us as individuals? I wonder if Christ can trust us individually. I wonder if Christ can trust me individually. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. is a passage that we know well. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that means he's made you alive, you were dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, do you see this? You walked, you used to walk this way, you walked according to the what? Everybody there? What did we used to walk according to? the course of this world. There was a way, there is a way that the world walks. But we don't walk that way. No. Amen? We're not supposed to walk that way. Is that what the Bible says? Right? Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. That, that conversation, that's our interaction with the world. How? In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So here's what the Bible says about us. When Christ found us, we were walking the streets in wickedness. That's what the Bible says. But now there is a new way that we are to walk. And look at how the Bible describes that. 
We were children of wrath at the end of verse 3, even as others. But I love this. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, or by grace you are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Drop down to verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't that that just a beautiful picture? We used to be these people that would walk in sin, but now... He's raised us up to sit with Him. We're different. How many of you think in the imagery of the Scriptures that the peasant living not only in poverty but also in wickedness, that that person looked different than someone in the royal court? You think they look different? That's what Christ has done for us. We were wicked sinners but He has raised us up to sit together with Him in heavenly places. If we're saved. How many of you know for sure Jesus is your Savior? That's who I'm talking about. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is not you. You're still walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You are a child of disobedience, and you are under the wrath of God. So if you want to to partake and participate in the things that we're talking about, you need to get saved. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for those of us who are, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the church and then God gathers us up into local bodies like Grace Baptist Church and we are to function in a certain way. And the idea is that we used to live one way, but now because we are His bride, we live differently. We live differently. You know, 25 years ago, last December, Laura and I stood at an altar and committed ourselves to each other for as long as we live. And one of the things that we said was forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. And of course, that broke all the ladies' hearts around. But you know, only one could be chosen. (laughs) Sick, isn't it? But anyway, I found somebody to take me. That's a better way to say it. And so what, what that means is I've told her that I'm, ho- I'm hers. And she told me that she is mine. And we've forsaken all others. And what happens? You behave differently. We're married now. We're one. When you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you forsook everything else. Worldly pleasure, worldly praise worldly attainments, worldly associations, and you united yourself with Jesus Christ and He changed you. He changed you. Isn't it wonderful that God can do something in marriage that we can't? Ladies, have you ever tried to change your husband? It's like Jesus. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your husband is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to fix him. Men, you tried to change your wife to mold her and shape her. How's that working? It's not going to. That's not not the way it works. You love each other. 
You love each other. And then what happens when you genuinely love each other if there's something your spouse does not like, if you love them, then you'll change that. Amen? The beauty about the marriage relationship between Christ and the church is Jesus doesn't need to change. But we do. We do. You know what the blessing is? Even if we don't, He still loves us. What a blessing. We're going to talk about that some more in a minute. So what we see here is that we used to live a certain way, but now we are changed. We are different. We can be trusted. We can be trusted. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There'll be a Bible there. You're going to want to have a Bible. We're going to be all over it this morning. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 12. We can be trusted. We can be trusted. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, that's acceptable or able, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So not only were we found, not only were we in the wickedness of this world, but He has brought us into His kingdom, into His court. He's made us heirs and joint heirs with Him. We're blessed with His riches, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So here's what happened. Christ changed us. He translated us. And I'll tell you something interesting. Whenever the word translated is used in the Bible, it's from something less to something greater. That's interesting, isn't it? He's, he changes us and makes us better. And I'll tell you this. In, in our marriage relationship, Laura's made me a better person. She has better character than I do. And that's, that's God's plan, isn't it? For two people to come together and to be made one flesh and for each party to bring attributes and characteristics that complete and improve the other. Is that right? Now, what do we have that will allow Jesus to be complete and improved? Nothing. All of the completion and the improvement comes from Him to us. And then He just wants to trust us. Can you be trusted? Look with me at John chapter 17. How are we going to accomplish this? John 17. Jesus Christ's prayer right before His crucifixion. John 17, look at verse 15. Well, look at verse 14. I think that this describes us in the world. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I've got to tell you, folks, all this transgender stuff and everything that's going on, what's happening is the world is going to begin to hate us because we believe God's words. Is that right? So don't be surprised. Jesus told us that this was going to happen. And then he helps us. Look at how he prays for us in verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So here is the picture of the virtuous woman. He didn't hit her over the head with his club and drag her into his cave and keep her locked up. 
Is that right? Even though, you know, like Ty Blackford is up here a minute ago. He looks kind of like a caveman right now. But he does let Diana out of the house periodically. She cut her hair because he kept dragging her into the cave by it. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. The virtuous woman worked. She helped support the family. She bought property. And she elevated the name of her husband in the community. He could trust her. But I want you to notice something. Go back to Proverbs chapter 31. This is interesting. Proverbs 31, verse 11. She was trusted. She could be trusted. The heart of her husband doth... What's that next word? Safely trust in her. Have you ever trusted in something you shouldn't have? I think I've told you when I was a kid, I thought that I had steel-toed boots. I'd gotten some work boots, and I thought they were steel-toed, so I was being real cool, and I said, here, throw this rock on my foot. I trusted those boots, but not safely. I found out that I did not have steel-toed boots, and it hurt really bad. I trusted, but not safely. How many of you could tell that I was a troubled child? I just... That the Tim... <laughs> the Tim Hawkins thing. Hey, Dad, let's play Dodge Brick. <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> what did he say? Don't judge me. <laughs> Apparently he threw a brick at his kid. But anyway, he does safely trust in her. Have you ever trusted someone and you shouldn't have? Has that ever happened? They're usually called pyramid schemes, right? Amway. You ever trust in somebody? <laughs> now, if you're selling Amway, it's just an example. Don't be mad at me. Um, have you ever trusted in something you shouldn't have? You ever done that? An employer, an employee, maybe a spouse. You trusted in somebody that you shouldn't have. Do you know what the Bible says about the virtuous woman? Her husband can safely trust in her. Can Jesus Christ safely trust you to carry out what he's asked you to do? Can he safely trust you to be faithful? Now, can you imagine, guys, here, here, let me get your attention. Guys, can you imagine this? What if you found out that your wife had an ongoing relationship with an old boyfriend? Would you like that? Let's, let's answer out loud. Would you like that? No. No. That'd be a problem. I think we, we would all have a problem with that. Right? What about us with the world? We're saved out of the world. But are we still flirting with it? Do we still find our pleasure? Do we still find our joy? Do we still find our fulfillment from the world and not from Christ? Ladies, some of you, your husbands have been into pornography or something like that. And that is such a violation of trust. Can Jesus Christ trust you? Husbands, can your wife trust you? Wives, can your husband trust you? Church, can Jesus trust you? Over the last month, what has your interaction with the world been like? Since you were saved, what has your interaction with the world been like? Isn't it interesting how Bible preaching, I don't have to give a list of behaviors 
All I have to ask you is, what has your relationship with the world been like as opposed to your fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Can he safely trust in you? Look with me at... Look at the next verse. I'm sorry, verse 11 still. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Do you see that? So that he shall have no need of spoil. What's that talking about? Well, let's, let's let the Bible define it. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now remember, we looked at this last week that we we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that we understand the things of God by comparing things spiritual with spiritual. So we're comparing the words of Scripture. So let's look at this spoil and see if the Bible can tell us something about it. So Luke chapter 11, look at verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Do you see that? So what is that teaching you? It teaches you to be armed in your home. It's interesting, isn't it? It's amazing how soft Christianity has become. There are some Christians that think it's wrong to have weapons to defend your home. The Bible says, He that provideth not for his own hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Men, you don't protect your home, you're worse than an infidel. Amen? All right. So then look at the next verse. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him... So here's the idea. Man, I can work out. I can, you know do all kinds of exercises, and Tony Slade would still break me in half. He would. He'd squirsh me. That's a technical term. It's Greek. There would be no hope. I, I can work out as long as I want to. It's not going to happen. Right? And that's why I have a gun. But here's the idea. Tony, I'm not saying I'm going to shoot you. Okay, I won't do that unless you try to hurt me. Um, verse 22. <laughs> That's what people say that, you know, we who oppose the, the homosexual lifestyle because biblically it's, it's wrong, they call us homophobic. And that's, you know, that we have fear of it. The only way that I have fear is if he's bigger than me and coming at me. That's the only time that I'm homophobic. Amen? Are you with me on that? I just want to, I just love them. I want them to get saved and have a holy life and for God to give them the blessings that he's given us. Amen? That's what we want. So anyway, look at this in verse 12. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. What are his spoils? That's his stuff. His stuff. So what does the Bible say about the virtuous woman? Her husband can trust her with his stuff, and specifically with his money. I know someone who has a, a business, it's a home business, and the wife keeps taking money out of the business account to spend on things for the home. He can't trust her. He can't trust her. Because then when the money is necessary for the business, it's not there. When we looked at Mother's Day, we talked about that. That the, that the virtuous woman, her husband can trust her with the money in the home. Amen? So here's the question about the church. Can God trust Grace Baptist Church with the way we spend His money? 
It's His. Would you all agree with that, that it's His? And so that's as an institution where we're accountable, but individually, can He trust you with His money? Or are you going to spoil it? It's very interesting. Go to Luke chapter 11. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16 and verse 11. Very interesting verse. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What are the true riches? Well, it's the eternal things, the word of God and the souls of men. That's... It's very interesting that some people are in love with the church and with God's work. And sometimes you look at those people, how can they be so excited to come and do landscaping on Thursday? Because they care about this place. They care about it. How many of you have noticed the difference between the way a house is kept when it's rented and when it's owned? Have you ever noticed the difference? How many of you have ownership at Grace Baptist Church and how many of you are renting? It's very interesting. Can he trust you with your money? What he says is that that the church, he has given you the money to fund his church. He's given it to you. I had a friend in college and she married a guy. She was pastor's daughter. She married a guy that was just a loser. And he wasn't faithful to her. He didn't handle the money properly. He would take money that they needed for the mortgage and buy himself jewelry. Gold necklaces, you know, Mr. T starter kit, you know, (laughs) gold necklaces and gold bracelets and all this kind of stuff. And my thought, just like you guys, what a loser. He ended up cheating on her and they got divorced and it was just really hard on her because this guy was an idiot. I wanted to beat him down in the love of Jesus. (laughs) And if I was Tony Slade's size, I would have. But anyway. um, Do you know that Jesus is always faithful to provide for us? Can we be trusted with it? Can we be trusted with it? Or are you spoiling what he gave you. And the interesting thing about this verse is when we are faithful with the money, he gives us spiritual insight. It's so interesting. You know, there are some people that really, they have no understanding of the Bible. They have no concern for the things of God. And that is reflected by their checkbook. Remember Larry Burkett? He always used to say, I can tell a person's, if you show me someone's checkbook, I can tell you about their spiritual condition. That's interesting, isn't it? And here's the thing. All the givers, those people who have the the spiritual gift of the giver, I'm looking out and they're all going. People who don't are going. Every time I come to church, all he talks about is money. This is probably the first time in six months I've mentioned money. It's really interesting. But this is a part of the virtuous woman She can be trusted with his stuff so that it's not spoiled. Amen? Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted? Someone who has the gift of the giver. You know, we're going to be expanding or building or whatever. I'm meeting with a consultant on Tuesday. We're meeting with city planners and all of that stuff to see what we can do on this property and all of those things. 
And so I was talking with this person who is a giver. He has the gift of the giver, loves the church. And he gets so mad at people who don't give. It's interesting. It's really interesting. And what I, I don't know if I said this out loud, but what I was thinking is we're not the Borg. You know, you cannot resist. You're going to be assimilated into the Borg. You have no choice. If you come to Grace Baptist Church, all of a sudden I have access to 10%. No. No, people are on all different levels of spiritual growth and commitment to their husband, Jesus Christ. Right? How many of you want your spouse to be completely faithful? Would you raise your hands? Any of you want your spouse to be completely faithful? Is it fair for Christ to expect that of you? So here's the question. Are you? Can he trust you with his money? Then... Go back with me to Proverbs 31. Verse 11 again. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. And then I love this. This is so good. Look at verse 12. Not only is she trusted, but she is responsible. Verse 12. I told you I only had two points. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She can be trusted. She's responsible. Go to 1 John 2.1. What are we responsible to do? 1 John 2.1. She's responsible. I tell Laura all the time, or often, I don't tell her enough, but I do try to tell her how much I respect her character. She's diligent. She just, when she gets up in the morning, she starts working. She also starts talking and I'm not ready for that. But she starts the day with her list and she's diligent, her character. It's amazing what she can accomplish. How many of you have seen the new shipping room we have for the journal and all of our materials? How many of you have seen that? If you haven't, go down here and look at the shipping room, how organized and put together it is. That's her and Pastor Nathan. They just work like crazy to make sure that this ministry keeps clicking and keeps running. And what's, what I love about her is that she's responsible. This, she just cares for things that are details. That's how we are supposed to be for Christ. And how does that work itself out? Look at what it says in verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you. What are those next four words? Let's do that again. What are those next four words? That you sin not. So what is our responsibility to our husband. Don't sin. Don't sin. That's where it starts. We, that, that is, we are responsible to do that. Now, here's the, here's the really good news, though. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Imagine the court scene. For the defense, Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. Isn't that a blessing? Can I tell you something? You're going to sin. Jesus doesn't want you to, but you're going to. If any man saith he has no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's what the Bible says just a few verses earlier. Is that right? So you're going to sin. The good news is you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. Amen? Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. You're going to sin. But here's what Christ wants you to do. He wants you to hate it. He wants you to love Him. 
And He wants you to live a life that's holy. And when you do sin, and you will, when you do, confess it to Him. Look at what it says in verse 9 of chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, I don't need that. You know, Donald Trump said he's never needed to repent. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Responsible. Can you be trusted? Are you responsible? How is your walk, how is your relationship to your Savior and the world? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. Y'all doing okay this morning? You doing good in the overflow? Amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Isn't that good? Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Now look at what it says. And let every one of you that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know that when, when Laura and I got married, Laura took my name. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 5, he made them male and female, and he called their name Adam. Ladies, you take your husband's name. Folks, when we got saved, we took our husband's name. We are Christians. When you took his name, do you know what he wanted you to do? Depart from sin. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's what we are supposed to do. Here's the thing. Can you imagine if I told Laura, will you marry me? I need someone to do my laundry and cook my meals. How many of you think that type of a, a proposal would work well? No. No, no, no. Would not work well. I married her because I loved her and still do. But at that point, I married her because I loved her and I wanted to have a relationship with her. I wanted to take her as my wife forever. Right? And you all did the same thing. Those of you that are married. That, that it's very important. And yet, and yet, there was an expectation of what would come after marriage. I'm to provide. She's to care for things in the home. We had a biblical understanding of our responsibilities. This is interesting. But I didn't marry her to do those things. We got married by making a commitment to each other. And the commitment was not, I will do your dishes and cook your meals. Right? It wasn't, I will bring home a paycheck, I'll make sure that you have a house. That wasn't our commitment. Our commitment was to each other with the understanding, with the understanding that there are things to follow. Is that fair? The problem with so much of the world is they get that turned around. People think that they have to do all these works so that they can become the bride of Christ. It's not the way it works. Let's see what the Bible says. Go to, with me to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2. We were there a minute ago. Well, a few minutes ago. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 7, "...that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." And then verse 8, "...for by grace are you saved through faith, 
And that, even the faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we understand that our salvation, the marriage, is not of our works, it's by faith, through gra- by, by grace, through faith. Is that right? Are you all with me on that? You cannot work your way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Now, the only problem is, verse 10, we read part of it earlier. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what, here's the idea. Our responsibility is that when we are saved, when Jesus Christ saves us by faith, without works, that then there are some works that we are supposed to do. Is that right, biblically? It's very clear. Can Christ trust you to do those works? What are you doing for Him? I know of couples, and I end up having to counsel them, who the husband doesn't do what he's supposed to do, or the wife is not doing what she's supposed to do in the relationship. And I see these marriages fall apart because people are not doing the good works to maintain a relationship. Now, aren't you glad that you don't have to do good works to maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ? Isn't that wonderful? I quoted the verse earlier. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. It's wonderful. You're free. You can never lose the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. But you have some responsibilities now that you've entered into that relationship. And your responsibilities are good works. And the Bible identifies those good works as your interaction with the community, but also responsibilities in the home, the New Testament church. You have some responsibilities. Can you imagine if Laura cooked and cleaned for everybody's house except mine? Well, if you've ever seen my cleaning, our house would not be in good shape. If you've ever had my cooking, I make mean French toast and an omelet, and I can grill. Other than that... We go to McDonald's. Dad's cooking pizza. Right? Imagine, though, if she did all of that for everyone but for us. Or imagine if I took my money and gave it to everybody else and left nothing for our own home. How many of you think that that would be irresponsible? Is that irresponsible? Well, God has given you some responsibility in the relationship with the church. Do you see how this virtuous woman, it perfectly describes how the church is to behave and interact it's amazing the picture that the Bible has printed, has, has painted for us. Okay, so now, this, we have to do this. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And look with me. At verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, different kinds of lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. What happened? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration, that's His blood, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came in us and made us new. Verse 6, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, being justified by His grace. That is, we're declared righteous. We're 
Jesus, God the Father says we're not guilty. We're free from judgment because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So what are we supposed to do? We're saved by grace. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And we believe that wholeheartedly. The rest of the passage, though, says, but now, but now we are to do good works. Why? Because we're responsible. We have a responsibility. And we care. Go up to Proverbs 31. Are we responsible? Now, this is so good. Verse 12, she will do him good and not evil. Let's all get there. I want you to see this. She will do him good and not evil. Let's read those last few words together. All the days of her life. What did we say? As long as we both shall live. Notice, notice. The Bible doesn't have to say he will do good all the days of his life. And how many of you think the days of Jesus Christ's life are long? That's a given. What about your commitment? Are we going to do good to him all the days of our life? Lord, I'll give you every Sunday, sometimes even Sunday night. Or are you going to give him all the days of your life? Are you a part-time Christian? Can you imagine having a part-time wife? Part-time husband? Doesn't work that way, does it? I know sometimes it feels that way when you're both working so hard and all of those things. I'm not talking about your schedule. I'm talking about your commitment. Are, Are you trusted? Can he trust you all the days of your life? Every day, every moment of every day, are you committed and faithful to Him? We as a church, corporately, we must keep moving and doing ministry for Him every day. And the only way that can happen is when every member is doing what they are supposed to do, fulfilling their responsibility. Can you be trusted? Look at um, Acts chapter 13. This is a really cool passage. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 25. Responsible all the days of your life. Acts 13. Look at verse 25. And as John, this is John the Baptist, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. And he goes on to give what John had said. But here's the thing that John did. John fulfilled, what did it say? His course. Do you know what's interesting? Jesus said, of men born among women, there's none greater than John. What did John do? What he was supposed to do. What he was supposed to do. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you fulfilling your course? Or are you walking according to the course of this world. How many of you think the course that Jesus has for you today is the course of this world? No. God has a course for you. It's the way of righteousness. 
It's the way of righteousness. And what is the way? It's the New Testament church. What was the Apostle Paul? Before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, what was he persecuting? The people of that way. Not the cult in New Philadelphia. No, 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 New Knoxville. Not the cult in New Knoxville. It's the way is the New Testament church. Are you fulfilling your course in the church? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Look at Colossians 4. Colossians 4. Look at verse 17. Colossians 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. What did John do? He fulfilled his course. You fulfill your ministry. What ministry has God given you? I promise you He has given you, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one ministry that He's given you is the ministry of reconciliation where you tell someone in Christ's stead that Jesus Christ died for you. Come back to Him. Come to Jesus. He'll save you. He's given you that ministry. Another ministry, He might have given you children's ministry, discipleship ministry, working, doing something for God. What ministry has God given you? Are you fulfilling it? Are you trusted and responsible all the days of your life to your husband, Jesus Christ? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Can you say this? At the end of your life, all the days of your life, can you say in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know what the Bible says about the virtuous woman? Her husband can safely trust in her. Can safely trust in her. So that he hath no need of spoil. And she'll do him good all the days of her life. What is that? He can trust her. She has the responsibility to do good. Those are the good works all the days of her life. Grace Baptist Church, can Jesus Christ safely trust in us? He can only safely trust in us as each of us as individual members are faithful to Him. Amen? But remember, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone... You're in the wrath of God. You need to get saved. But those of us who are, if you're saved, would you raise your hand? In the overflow, raise your hand if you're saved. If you are, can you be trusted? Can you be trusted all the days of your life? Let's all stand.